I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 494 of the podcast. I'm happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have got just an incredible guest for you guys today. Seinfeld's George Costanza. Jason Alexander joins me on First Class Fatherhood. Jason Alexander was nominated for seven consecutive Primetime Emmy Awards for portraying George Costanza, as well as four Golden Globes. Jason is also a Tony Award-winning Broadway actor for his performance in Jerome Robbins' Broadway, which also landed him a Grammy Award. You've also seen him in movies such as Pretty Woman and Shallow How. I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to have him on the podcast today. I've always been a huge fan of Seinfeld, and George Costanza is by far my favorite character on the sitcom, which seems to continue to gain popularity as time goes on here. Jason Alexander will be here with in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Jason Alexander was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between myself and George Costanza, please hit me with a subscribe over on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you guys enjoyed today's interview with Jason Alexander, please go check out some of the other interviews I've done with acting dads, such as Matthew McConaughey, Howie Mandel, Dean Kane, Matt Lanter, Brian Austin Green, and so many others, all available for you to listen to at your convenience in the archives of the podcast. And be sure you keep it right here on the podcast for Wednesday, three-time Tony Award-nominated actor Joshua Henry, who portrayed Aaron Burr in the smash hit musical Hamilton, will be stopping by. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. And if you missed out on last week's episode, you got to flip it back and go check them out. Skateboarding legend Tony Hawk was here. Megatron NFL superstar Calvin Johnson Jr. And Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Mike Piazza all joined me right here on the podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, please hit me with a rating or review. It always goes a long way to help me out. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Jason Alexander. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Right, Dad. Sports stadiums are beginning to fill up once again. Concerts are coming back, and Broadway shows will be here before you know it. It's time to take your kids to an event and start making memories once again. And there's nothing wrong with saving a few bucks while you do it. My partnership with SeatGeek means that you can save $20 off your tickets by using the promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, at SeatGeek.com or on the SeatGeek app. Let's go, dads. We've been cooped up way too long here. It's time to start enjoying sports and entertainment again the way they were meant to be experienced, live and in person. Visit SeatGeek.com or use the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, at the checkout and save $20 off your tickets. A gift for first-class fathers from first-class fatherhood. Joining me now, first-class father, Jason Alexander. Welcome to first-class fatherhood. I, I, listen, I got to be very honest. I don't, I'm don't. i not a, like a big podcast guy. I don't know from podcasts. The sound of this show is just gorgeous. Congratulations to you. It's just a beautiful thing to be doing. Well, thank you, Jason. Hey, listen, it's an honor to have you here. Let's start right like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Uh, I have two boys. Gabe is 29. Noah is 25. Wow, very cool. What kind of sports or activities were they into growing up? Uh, much like their father, virtually none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, they actually, I, I, that's not true. I, I, I undercredit them. They were not team sports guys. Um, they were into a little bit of martial arts, which I was into. And then they got kind of heavily into, when I say gymnastics, you're picturing the Olympics, but the sort of like Cirque du Soleil gymnastics. They had, you know, the silks and they had a trampoline and they had kind of, and they, they got very serious about the trampoline. They were very good for a while. Um, so they, you know, they did that kind of stuff, but they were not, you would not want any, me or any of my children on a basketball or a football team. We just would not be of help to you at all. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Hey, Jason, if you could, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Uh, well, very good question. I am, uh, I guess I'm known as an actor, director, producer, writer. Uh, I've been performing professionally since I was 14 years old. I've done Broadway and theater across the country as an actor and a director. I've I've uh, been in a bunch of movies, some of which you've heard of, like Pretty Woman and Shallow Hal, and I'm probably best known as George Costanza from the Seinfeld television series, a television icon from the 90s. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, I'm a big fan of the show, you know, so I've always loved watching you over the years here. So take us back to the beginning of your fatherhood journey here then, Jason. About how old were you when you first became a dad, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? Um, I was 32 when Gabe was born. Um my wife and I had five years, and, and I know she's okay with me talking about this. Um, my wife and I had five years of unexplainable infertility, where we saw a number of specialists and everything, every report seemed to be, you guys are fine. Uh, we don't know why this isn't happening. And eventually we went to an amazing uh, fertility doctor who um, just sort of helped the process a little bit. But both my boys are in vitro, so they were both fought for very hard to get here. And uh, my older son, Gabe, gave us a really interesting entrance into life because he was born with some sort of bronchial infection, which we can look at now, 29 years later, and go, that was nothing. I mean, come on. But at the time, it, it put him in the uh, neonatal intensive care unit for the first 10 days of his life. And, you know, it, it is an amazing thing. I've never had a suicidal thought in my life. Not one, Alec. But I remember going into the little chapel in, in Cedar sinai Hospital and, you know, communing with God and going, please don't do this because if you take one, you're going to take two. I, I cannot get through this. And what's amazing about that is, unless you, you know, believe in, in things like reincarnation, this little person is a stranger to me. I've known him for an hour when that event happened. And you go, wow, this is, I, I am not the person I was an hour before that moment. And so it, it, the changes are profound. I think anybody who's had a child, male or female, knows you are not the same person um, a minute after they show up. You, your heart lives outside your body. Uh, you are trying to make decisions for more than one person at a time and trying to do everything you can not to make your own way through the world, but to provide a way for that, that little person you brought into it. And it, it just changes everything. Yeah. Very well said, Jason. Yeah. What an introduction into fatherhood for you. My wife and I, we have four kids and we went through several miscarriages along the way. And so I know sometimes, it, you know, it, it's not it, just a, a one, two, three, three thing. And it happens. So for a lot of people like yourself, uh, it, it can take a while. So what, what would you say then, Jason, uh, what would you consider to be the top values that you had hoped to instill in your boys growing up? And how did that play out as they, as they became adults? Well, you know, you try and instill the values that you you want to have yourself. And, you know, if you're going to be totally honest, go, I miss the mark sometimes, you know, but maybe they can do better. Um, you know, we 
we tried to give them an awareness first and foremost that they live a very blessed life. The fact that they have two parents uh, that are living in the same home, that they are part of that kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, what is considered old school family, that they were born into some privilege, you know, that their, their dad is a public figure who has made a very good living and that they don't live the way most people do. I was born into a solid middle class, working class family. My sons were born into something quite different. And to make them aware of that, grateful for it, but also to understand and be able to um, connect with and not make assumptions about people who were not born into those circumstances. Um, you know, honesty was a big part of it. We used to say to our boys all the time, we expect you to make mistakes. We expect you to screw up. That's how you learn. Don't lie to us about it because we can't help you. You know, and we're not saying that, you know, there'd be no consequences for messing up. There can be consequences. But I promise you, the consequences for lying to us about it will be far worse than if you just... So, you know, listen, I can't swear that my boys never got away with one behind our backs. But for the most part, I think they're very honest guys, more so than I am, for sure. Um, they have integrity. They have compassion. They are, their hearts are open to all kinds of people. They do not walk around. You know, I, I don't think there's a, a discriminatory bone in their body. They generally are very accepting of all kinds of people and different ways of thought and different lifestyles. Um, they have a good work ethic. They want to make their way in this world. They have things they're passionate about and that they pursue. And they are good, kind, loving men and and I, you know i don't know what more we could have asked for and i, I give most of the credit for all that to my wife <laughs> <laughs> hey really good stuff jason you know and you mentioned there with, with the two-parent household i talk a lot on this show about the fatherless crisis that we do have going on in our country we got so many kids that are growing up without a father or a father figure in their life and it's really having a devastating effect on our society and one of those things that's missing in that type of relationship is the discipline portion of it i was a guy that grew up just waiting your father comes home and that was enough to straighten <laughs> me out a lot of the time so uh, what, what type of disciplinarian were you with the kids growing up jason and is that different than the discipline Discipline style that you grew up with. Um, you know, actually, not not very. It wasn't very different. You know, my parents were um, actually one generation older than most of my contemporaries' parents. My, my my I came along when my dad was fifty years old and my mom was forty years old. And in nineteen fifty nine, that was very unusual. So you would have expected that they would be sort of a you know the discipline was at the end of a belt kind of thing. But I I was never really physically disciplined as a child. My my punishments, as it were, were things, you know, like being deprived of, you know, an event. Uh, you don't get to go to that party kind of thing or being grounded or being sent to my room. Or um, the one that hurt the most is my parents would sometimes freeze me out. I get the silent treatment because I had hurt them so badly. And, you know, a day or two of that and you're on your knees groveling going, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, with our kids. Certainly, we were we we don't believe in any kind of physical punishment. Um, all I think that teaches a child is that I can hurt them, and and a I don't want them to think that lesson, and b it won't always be true. <laughs> and I don't want it coming back on me. Um, we we actually probably over talked in our family. We would explain things. We would say, well, here's what happened. Here was what your responsibility in it was. 
Um, that's not something we can support. So let's discuss how we can keep that from happening again. And it may mean, you know, in order for you to really understand this, you have to sacrifice something. And it may be television, it may be a game, it may be an opportunity with your friends, it may be this, it may be that. But, you know, it, it, it was, they were never punished in a vacuum. They were always disciplined in a way that had love attached to it and had um, uh, meaning and, and explanation attached to it. Um, and, and that was true even when we, my wife and I did a, a really interesting um, parenting philosophy that was taught out here called Research Infant Educators. And there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of talking, even <laughs> when your kids are infants. I mean, my, we used to have people come over and, and they would go, you got to be kidding me. Where, you know, one of the rye, it's called rye. One of the rye principles are you never just, you assume your baby can be more interactive than we think they are capable of. So you would never just put a baby on a changing table and put an outfit on them. That's what, a, what an insult. What a, right? So you would hold up. Two outfits, and you go, hi, Gabe, this is the blue outfit, and this is the green outfit. Which one would you like to wear? And if you wait there for a minute, you know, they're just in space. But they'll eventually focus their eyes on one of them for a second, and you go, oh, you seem to be looking at the green outfit. Okay, let's put on the green. And so, you know, they were participatory in their own lives, and, and we followed that out by assuming they could participate and negotiate with us even if it was to something corrective or something that they had to be punished for. So it was always in dialogue. And, you know, as a result of that, there's a lot of talking in my house. There's a lot of talk. My younger son, would, you know, is now monosyllabic. He's like, look, I got it. Just grunt. Yes, no. Can I do this? Up, <laughs> down, in, you know. Uh, but yet he's a writer. So words, he loves words. So, you know, that was our system. And, and they came out great. They're, they're great. Sometimes I got to catch myself. I got two teenage boys and, and sometimes I'll catch myself in the middle of one of these big Plato Republic monologues that I'm giving them. And then I realize, wait, I got to tone it down a bit here. I'm getting it a little too deep sometimes. Yeah, but listen, exactly. Jason, I, I'm just like you. My, my father had me when he was 50 years old. He was born in 1930. Uh, my mother was 43. Well, when she had me, so uh, I, I grew up with all the old movies, all the old, yeah. all, all, my, my father was actually a stand-in singer for Eddie Fisher back in the day. Wow. Uh, so I kind of grew up in all, all of that, and my, my parents were a lot older than my kids. One of the things that was the downfall of that was both my parents passed away before I became a father myself. Uh, so be, because you had, you know, your parents had you later in life, were, were your parents around for, for when you first had your kids? Were they there throughout your kid's childhood? They really were. My my uh, my wife and I both lost our dads six weeks apart from each other, and it was when my older son was ten years old, so ten and six. Um, so the boys never really got to know their grandfathers all as well as we would like to, but the grandmas were around. My wife's mother, you know, lives blocks from us. My mom lived in Florida, so you know there were a couple of trips every year to go see Grandma Ruth, but. Yeah, they had a pretty good exposure to them. Uh, you know, the, the hard part with, with my mom uh, is, again, because she came from a different generation and she was so much older than their contemporary grandparents, she didn't quite know how to relate to these, to these kids on a level that was meaningful to them. She, she believed the way to bond with them was to tell them the stories about her. And they were good about that for the first 30 minutes, you know, but 
And then she would say, I have so much trouble communicating with them. And I would say, well, mom, maybe you should ask them about them. You know, and that was when I was a kid, you never told, you only told your grandparents what your parents said, tell grandma about what you did at school. <laughs> you know, that was it. But you, you didn't try and inform your grandparents about who you were. And so that communication, you know, my grandparents and I, we had a very kind of formal relationship. It, it, I didn't, they didn't go to their graves with me kind of having a, a, a true bond except for one of them. But, you know, um, my, my wife's mother, I think, because she's here, because she's close, she has a lot more of a relationship with them. My mom, you know, had a lovely relationship with them and they adored her, but just time and distance and, and generation, you know. Yeah, it reminds me of one of those principles from Dale Carnegie and how to win friends and influence people. If you talk to other people about themselves, they'll listen all day long, you know. So uh, that's what that reminds me of. And now you say your oldest 29. That puts them right at the beginning. Seinfeld, I know, started in the early 90s there about 30 years ago. So what, you were a new dad then while this was going on. What were some of the challenges of becoming famous, Seinfeld taking off uh, while being a new dad? The only challenge, honestly, because a four-camera sitcom, especially a successful one, is a great parenting schedule because most I, my, my work week was usually four days only. And it was a pretty regular schedule. You knew you were going to have your weekends and you knew where your vacations were and you knew when your it was kind of like being a school teacher. You knew when your downtime was. Um, and it was, it was a, 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 it was the most unactor like job as far as scheduling. It was a good dad schedule. Um, the, the only thing that was particularly challenging is because as the popularity of the show grew and I became a little more of a celebrity, um, we didn't want the kids to be forced into that exposure. And so when we would, when we were with our kids or when we were traveling with the kids, that wasn't necessarily a stop sign for the paparazzi and people who wanted to come up and take a picture or whatever, you know, get an autograph, whatever it might be. So navigating, you know, being able to go to a group of paparazzi who have been very decent with me, I have to say, and say, guys, take all the pictures you want of me. If you get the back of their head, we're good. Please don't put their faces out in your photographs. They, they didn't ask for this life. We have to take them out in public. It, could you help us a little bit? And for the most part, they would. And I have to say, for the most part, people would come up, you know, and, and they were very excited. And, and I'd go, I'd love to talk to you, but I, I, it's just, I'm a dad, I'm on dad time right now. And they go, got it, man, got it. And, and, and most people got it. So, but it just, it was that extra layer of thinking and precautions about don't put your kids in the public space unless they want to be or ask to be. And, and that was, figuring out how to manage that took some time yeah and what a difference it is today jason where obviously tiktok and social media has really just made that a lot more harder for these guys that are coming up today and one of the cool things about watching seinfeld is like one of those last type of shows where not everybody has a phone in the show everyone's not you know texting one another right. which obviously has changed the big time now so well, what kind of advice do you have here jason for the parents that have kids that are looking to break into the industry today they want to become actors entertainers i know everything's changed where we consume media the way we we, we record it uh so what, what kind of advice do you have for the parents how do they steer the kids that are interested well you know there's there's different levels of what we call interested alex so if your kid is into the arts you know, be it a performer or, you know, a musician or a painter or whatever they might be. Um, there's nothing but support. 
go, 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 go. You know, try to, especially if they're performing, try and help them understand. There's a difference between performing from passion and joy and the love of doing it and the idea of becoming a star or making your living doing it. They're very different things. And you really want to make sure that the first comes before the latter. You, you want them to be in the school shows. You want them to do community theater. But when my 12-year-old, my 11-year-old said, Dad, I really want to do this. I want to get an agent. And, I want to, and, and we said, I'll tell you what, when you're 17 and 18, you can decide if you still want to do this. I'll do everything I can to help you. Right now, you just be a kid and you be a student and you do this stuff because you love to do it and you get better and better at it. And if you still want to do it five years from now, I'm with you, brother. I'll, I'll, I'll support you all the way because you're really good. That's part two, by the way. So some parents come to me and they go, well, should I be a realist or should I just give, be support? And I, I always say, you know, the world will do its thing to your children's dreams. They'll either support it or they'll redirect it or they'll squash them. You never want to be the thing that squashes your child's dreams. So even if you go, Jesus, I don't think they're very good, if that's what you're thinking, and they come to you and they go, Mom, Dad, how was I? Your job is to go, sweetheart, you are my child. I'm not a, I'm not a good judge. Everything you do brings me joy. I think you're brilliant. I think you shine. You're my kid. I couldn't see you in any other way. So if you're asking how do I think you did, I think you did great. If you want to know how the audience thought you did, you got to go ask the audience. That's the most real you can be. Other than that, your job is to go, go get them. I'm with you all the way. Because the last thing you want is for your adult child to turn around and go, yeah, my dad or my mom didn't really support me in this dream. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very well said, Jason. Yeah, there's no shortage of people that are willing to tell you how it is now, especially on Twitter and all these other things. So I'll let you know pretty quickly. <laughs> you bet. And you obviously, I know, I know you had the successful book there, Dad, Are You the Tooth Fairy? What was the genesis of you coming up with that book? I know that was uh, early on there, too, or in the early 2000s, I believe. So what was the genesis of that book? And what were the type of books that you read to your kids, um, you know, bedtime and stuff like that? Oh, well, we, I mean, we ran the gamut from, you know, Goodnight Moon, you know, when they were really little and The Hungry Caterpillar and all that stuff. We had a great time. We, we did like a double dose during the Harry Potter books. So we, we would buy the books as read by Jim Dale, who was brilliant. It was such a great family experience to listen to those books together. But of course, Dad being an actor, I would also, <laughs> I think I read good, good amounts of all those books trying to do the characters and trying to make it, you know, an award-winning performance for the kids. Um, the, the book I wrote, um, uh, Dad, Are You the Tooth Fairy, is absolutely page by page a true story. Um, it was when my son Gabe, so I did a thing, a friend of mine uh, made these little envelopes that were specifically for when your kid lost a tooth. It was a beautiful graphic design of a, of a fairy on the outside and it was just a big enough thing that they could put a tooth in and you could put money in um, or whatever you wanted to put in. So I, of course, schmaltzed it up by writing little notes. And I would do I would create this sort of interesting font of my own handwriting. And uh, Gabe's uh, tooth fairy, I believe, was Gwyneth and um, Noah's tooth fairy was Lilith. 
and uh, Gwyneth would leave Gabe little notes and along with his little gifts. And he loved it. I mean, he just loved it. But he was about eight or nine or however old you are when you're really losing teeth. And, you know, he came back and he had a loose tooth and he came back from school and somebody got to him. Somebody said, you know, there's there's no Santa Claus. There's no tooth fairy. It's your it's your parents. And he came into the kitchen and he gave me an ultimatum. He looked me, you know, with that little 10 year old finger. He went, Dad, I want the absolute honest truth. Is it you or do I have a tooth fairy named Gwyneth? And I'm stuck because my <laughs> child is asking me for the truth. So I'm now obligated to give him the truth. But I also know that the, the truth in, in its coldness is, is going to hurt his heart. So you go, what do you do? What do you do? How do you do this? Well, the good Lord opened, opened the pathway and an answer came to me. And the answer is in the book. And, and basically to truncate it, I said, all right, Gabe, here's the truth as I know it to be. You know, lots of things that we now think of as everyday, commonplace, mundane, long, long, long time ago, people thought were miracles and magic. You know, like fire was magic and a miracle. But now we control fire, right? And all kinds of creatures that used to be on this planet are now gone. You know, we know about dinosaurs and dodos and all the animals that are extinct. I said, well, what I understood is that long, long, long time ago, a lot of the magical creatures also existed. You know, the ogres and the wizards and the witches and the fairies and whatever, you know. And as people became more sophisticated, they took over the magic for themselves and the magical creatures had nothing to do, so they would leave. And, of course, when the fairies started to leave, children were very upset that the tooth fairies were leaving because, you know, they were their special friends. And I said, the story that I heard is that the last, last little tooth fairy before they left, because the children were so sad, said, well, I'll tell you what. When you lose a tooth, as long as you believe in us, your parents will come into your room and they'll take the tooth and they'll go and they'll sit in a special place, you know. And if they close their eyes, we will tell them what to do or tell them what to say to you. And we will do that as long as you believe in us. And I said, so the honest answer, Gabe, to your question is when you lose a tooth, I come into your room and I take the tooth from under your pillow and I go to my desk and I sit down and I have a pen and I have the paper and I close my eyes and I hear the words in my head and I write them down to you and then I put it under your pillow. But what I can't tell you is whether I'm writing those words out of my imagination or if the voice of some tooth fairy is speaking to me and I'm just receiving it. I don't know. And I said, frankly, the only person that can answer that is you. You you have to decide what it is. And he went away and he woke up the next day and he came downstairs and he said, I thought about it. And he said, I would prefer to believe that I have this magical person in my life, this Gwyneth person. So when he lost that tooth and the letter that Gwyneth wrote him when he lost that tooth is in the book. And it basically says, Gabe, I have given you many gifts, but you've given yourself the best one of all possibilities and just commended him for that. And so I told the story to a friend of mine and she said, you've got to write that down. I went, I do? Really? Why? She said, no, it's great. You've got to write it down. So I, I, I kid you not, Alec, I know great children's books writers, they labor over every word as if they were Dostoevsky, you know, but I wrote that story I just told you, in about 15 minutes, I gave it to an agent at my agency. I said, you're not going to be able to do anything with this, but, you know, here it is. And Scholastic 
came back and said, we will do this book. And they hooked me up with the illustrator and the book went out and it won a Scholastic Readers Award. And, you know, it did very well. But uh, that, that was an absolute true story. And that is really a, an example of what my wife and I, the kind of parents my wife and I tried to be on our best days was to give our kids the ability to think for themselves and to give them possibilities. It's a great gift. Yeah, it's it's a great gift and an awesome message, Jason. I, I love I love now that it's a you know a staple I think for the you know children's book collection. So really, really good stuff. And and Jason, obviously your legacy here as an actor is very secured here. Uh, you're like it or not, you're going to be George Costanza, and 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 that's really um, I think a pretty good role to be remembered for. Yeah. What do you want? What what do you want your legacy to be as a dad? Well, you know it's it's really interesting. Years ago. Um, a couple friends of mine were getting stars on the Walk of Fame. And when Julia Louis-Dreyfus got hers, I went and I was part of the presentation for her. And I came home and my, my boys, I, I guess they were young teenagers at the point, and they said, uh, hey, Dad, do you have one of those? I went, nope, nope. And they said, don't you want one? I said, well, I never really thought about it. Um, I said, I suppose if I wanted one bad enough, I could get it. It's not hard. You have to get somebody to nominate you, and then you basically pay for them. Somebody pays for them, basically. I said, but you know, guys, I can walk you up there, and we'll walk down block after block after block, and every one of those people were famous. In the, at the moment that that star got laid in the sidewalk, they were famous. And I guarantee you, you won't know every nine out of ten. You will not know. Fame is a very fleeting thing. <clears throat> I said, when I am gone, there are only two people in the world who I care how they remember me and if they remember me. And I'm looking at both of them. And I don't need a star on a sidewalk for you guys to know who I am. And that that is true. I, I would like... Um, I would like the boys to hold me in their heart as someone who adored them so they know what it is to be adored you know um who supported them who believed in them who would always try to be for there for them in any way if needed uh, my parents god bless them you know they were working parents I, I was a latchkey kid my parents weren't there more than they were there and my parents were a generation behind state-of-the-art parenting so they made some mistakes in my mind but what I know is my parents adored me with every cell in their body, every fiber of their being. And that knowledge is what I carry. All the other stuff, when they weren't there, what they couldn't do, the things they may have made mistakes about, none of that carries weight with me at this point. What I hold is I was loved by my parents. That's all my boys need to have. If that's the legacy I can leave them, we're good. Yeah, very, very well said, Jason. And what, what kind of turning the page forward here? What kind of project? I know we're coming off a year where difficult yeah. with the pandemic. It affected everybody. What kind of pro? I know we. Hey, listen, they just did the Friends reunion. Do you guys have yeah. any kind of sign? If you drop any info on a Seinfeld reunion, it could really blow up the podcast here. But what, uh, what kind of projects? <laughs> what, what, what kind of projects or goals you have coming up for yourself here? Um, you know, it's been busy. I I do a lot of. Um, um, uh, live entertaining. I, 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 I tour. I have a show I do with symphonies. I have almost like a stand-up but Q&A stand-up show that I do. I've been doing that all during the pandemic because that's easy to do in this format. Not the symphony show so much. It's hard to sing with a symphony orchestra. Over Zoom. 
Um, but I, uh, I have projects for the stage as a director that are supposed to, uh, uh, with, there's all three of them are in New York and hopefully our Broadway, uh, have a future on Broadway. Um, I have a television show that's in development. I have a, as an, as a performer, I have another television show in development as a producer. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot, but the thing that I've been doing the most Alec through the pandemic and that I think is going to stay a significant part of my life is teaching young actors. Uh, I just, I've, I've enjoyed it as much, if not more than, you know, some of the greatest jobs I've had in my career. So I think teaching, you know, as you get to be an older actor, some of us stay really vital and some of us go, well, our best days are behind us. I don't know which way it's going to go. I still have many things happening and lots of opportunities. And I don't know why I keep making an ungodly living, but I do. And thank you for everything up there that's happening. But if it all ended tomorrow and I, you know, just had time with my family and time to teach and I have some other little hobbies and, and time to be with the people I care about, it's been a great ride. <laughs> I got no issues. No, nothing wrong with that. So if good things come along and, and, you know, the audiences get to see them, great. I'm thrilled. I'm excited. And uh, if the last time anybody sees my face in public is this conversation, that's okay, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, awesome stuff. Listen, what a blessing it is to so many young actors to have somebody like yourself there to show them the ropes. So that, good for you for doing that and giving back. And the last thing I want to hit you with here, Jason, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Uh, you can't bank enough sleep. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Um, here's, here's the thing that you're going to want to remember. Uh, and you won't know it in the moment. But you'll remember it later. When when the kids are little, it is so much work. Man, it asks for everything you got. You're up in the middle of the night. You're you're literally wiping people's butts. You're you're providing for everything they've got. You are sacrificing and sacrificing opportunity, money. You know, you name it. It's all about your kids. And there are days where you go, God, I'm, I'm weary from this. Where am I? Where do I get to be in all of this? I will tell you, mine are 29 and 25, and I can't watch easily videos of them as the little kids, not because of anything other than I go, I miss them so much. I would put myself right back there, and I know how hard it was. I know how exhausting it was. But that time where you can pick your child up and make the world better for them and you, that lasts a moment. And when you're in it, you don't really appreciate it as much as you should. When it's gone, you know, and they're big guys and they don't need you to do that stuff anymore. You're going to miss. That's why grandparents go crazy because they get to get it back. And um, so. At the hardest moment, in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. when the kid is screaming and you don't know what he wants, just hang in there because you're going you're gonna to look back at that and go, that was such sweet time. Yeah, very well said, Jason. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. i got to say, Jason Alexander, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time. You're a first-class father. Thanks, Alec. Keep, you keep, keep the flame lit, brother. <laughs>
back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Jason Alexander for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Keep it right here Wednesday on the podcast. Joshua Henry, three-time Tony Award-nominated actor. He portrayed Aaron Burr in that smash hit musical Hamilton. He's going to be here on Wednesday. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.